This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. This morning we need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Now over these past few Sunday mornings, uh, we've been looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I have been avoiding the Christmas Advent story because the fellows are doing that in the evening time. And we looked at the Holy Spirit in various ways, different dimensions. Uh, we talked about him as being our comforter, our guide, our strength, our power. We talked about the Holy Spirit uh, coming on the day of Pentecost. And why was that day the day that the Holy Spirit was to fall? How did that relate to the actual day of Pentecost? We went into detail on that. We talked about the Holy Spirit regarding uh, unbelievers, his ministry to unbelievers. Uh, to convict, to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. This morning I want to continue uh, and I want us to consider the role of the, the Holy Spirit in the corporate life of the church and the individual lives of believers who constitute the church. The scriptures that we have read said we have all been baptized into one body and we all drink of the same Holy Spirit. Now remembering that the head is Christ and the body is the church. And the head is in heaven, but the body is on earth. And the vital link between the head in heaven, which is Christ, and the body on earth, which is the church, is the life-giving, life-sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. The coalescence between the head in heaven and the body on earth is the Holy Spirit who brings together the head and the body. Remember that the head is in heaven, the body is on earth, and it's the Holy Spirit who, in a sense, mystically joins the two together. Without the Holy Spirit, there'd be no connection between Christ who's in heaven and the church who's on earth. It's the Holy Spirit who makes that connection. Jesus said when he would go, he would not leave us comfortless. He wouldn't leave us like orphans, but he would send his Holy Spirit. And so right now, we have the Holy Spirit uh, doing this for us. Now, there's a, a lovely picture, of course, in the Old Testament in the creation story and how that uh, when God created Adam and how that Adam was perfectly formed. But there was one thing missing in Adam's life. He had no helpmeet. He had no one with him. And so God caused a great sleep to come upon Adam, and he took out of his side a rib and made Eve, and then presented to Adam Eve, his wife, his bride, as it were. And we see that in the New Testament, uh, whenever Christ died on the cross, uh, in a sense, it was the Holy Spirit who, from his riven side, from his wounded side, drew us and made us into his bride. Amen. And so 
we see that the connection between the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the connection between the head is in heaven and the church who is on earth. Now, the role of the Holy Spirit right now in the corporate and the individual life of the church is to prepare us that he may present us. To prepare us that he may present us. The Apostle Paul says, I want to present you as a chaste virgin unto Christ. In other words, I want you to know and understand that you're the bride of Christ. Now, it's the Holy Spirit who's preparing us that we may one day, particularly one day, it tells us in Revelation 19, that we are the bride of Christ and one day we'll be presented to him as his bride. He's the bridegroom and we are the bride. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit and will culminate in the great marriage supper of the Lamb whenever we shall meet our bridegroom and we as the bride. So how does the Holy Spirit do this? How does the Holy Spirit, both corporately as a body of believers in this church and individually as believers in this church, how does he prepare us so that he may present us uh, to Christ? That's what I want to talk to you about today. Well, the first two things is that he brings us into a place of unity and into a place of harmony. There's a difference between unity and harmony, which we'll come to in a few moments. But first of all, he brings us into a place of unity. This was Christ's great prayer for his church, was it not, in John 17. In verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us. The world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so Christ's great prayer for his church was that just as the Father and him are one, so that we would be one in him. That is his great prayer for the church. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do with us. He's preparing us to present us that we'll all be one in Christ and that they will be one with the Father and with the Son in heaven. That's what he's trying to do. Not that we're going to be God, but there's a, a unity, a oneness. He wants to bring us into the unity with Christ and unity with each other. I, I meant to... Uh, maybe Raymond could you do I'll read a, uh, just a, a couple of portions of scripture uh, first of all I'm going to read from the New Living uh, the New Living Bible the New Living Testament and it's slightly different to what you have uh, on your knee perhaps this morning if you don't have this uh, but it's, uh, it's modern language so I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 just where we had read before only just read it a little bit uh, further 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm reading from verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we've all received the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. And if the foot says, I am not part of the body because I'm not of the hand, not a hand, does that 
does, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, then how would you hear? Or if the whole body were just one big ear, how would you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and he has put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care, so we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen. While other parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for the harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other equally. If one suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, then all parts are glad. Now all of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is separate and necessary part of it. And here's a list of the members that God has placed within the body of Christ, and so forth and so on. And so the Apostle Paul is using the analogy of the human body to describe what should be happening within the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body on earth, but there's a connection, there should be a unity. Not only us united with him, but united with each other. And so he uses that as an analogy, how that each part of the body is connected. It's not disparate. It's not separated. All of her parts need to be working in harmony. And all of us know that even if just one part's not working in harmony, it affects the whole body. And so Paul's using this as a classic example on how the body should be working together. And so all the body parts are important. Some are seen, some are unseen. Some are more obvious, some are less obvious. Some can be seen on the outside, some of the vital parts are seen, or can't be seen because they're on the inside. But all of these parts together form a whole a unity. And it's the same within the body of Christ. Some are more easily seen than others. There's those who work up front, there's those behind the scenes, there's those who's more outgoing, maybe are more verbal and more able to be seen and heard. Others are quieter behind the scenes, but all are important because all should function working well together. So there's a unity in the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> reading from verse 3, as God's messenger I give each of you this warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. Just as her body has many parts, and each part is a special function. So you see, this was a theme with Paul. This was something that he was keen to get across. So it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of his one body, and each of us has a different work to do. And since we're all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have the faith that God is speaking through you. 
If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, do a good job of teaching. If your gift is to encourage others, do it. If you have money, share it generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And so we see here that there's different functions within the whole body of Christ. And all of us has a function. All of us has a role. All of us has a part to play within the body of Christ. And we're all different. Now, I suspect that some of you may be saying, when you hear me say this, some of you, I suspect, are sitting there thinking, well, I, I don't know what I can do. I, I, I'm not very good at I couldn't publicly speak. Uh, I couldn't even pray out loud in front of people. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of shy. I don't feel of any talents of any kind. And so where does that put me? It puts you in the place you ought to be. You're in the body of Christ. That means you already have a designated role. And you should ask the Lord, Lord, what, how can you use me? Now, it may be a simple thing. It could be that you may be an encourager. When people walk through that door, particularly for the very first time, it's not easy to visit a church for the first time. You don't know anybody. You don't even know where to sit. You're wondering, what, where am I going to sit? I may sit in somebody's seat and they may be not happy with me. Well, we're not the guy in here. <laughs> but you may be the person who looks out for the one who's visiting and go to them and shake their hand and give a big warm smile and make them welcome and say, it's great to see you here today. Lovely to have you. Thanks for coming to church to worship with us this morning. Just something. You may be the one who's able to do that. You say, well, that's not much. It's a lot. If you've ever visited a church, and I have, in fact, some, I remember one church I was the preacher, and nobody spoke to me other than the pastor. Nobody. And there was a tea afterwards, and I stood in the corner, and not one person came and said hello. I thought, what in the world? Would you want to go to a church like that? I certainly wouldn't. And so you may be the person who's the encourager. You say, well, I, 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 I don't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to say. Well, just give a big smile. Just a big smile, a warm handshake. Sometimes that's all it takes. You know, so, so there's different roles. You may never grace a platform. You never be able to sing a note, play an instrument, preach a sermon, do anything that up front, but behind the scenes there's something that you can do. There's a function for you in the body of Christ. God has made it that way. And we all are different. And uh, we should celebrate that, uh, the, the diversity that's in that. We should celebrate uh, and enjoy that. And, uh, you know, I, I was looking again at yesterday and what, what was accomplished here yesterday and looking around and seeing everybody doing a, a little bit. Everybody had a part to play. And, uh, and it was good to see that. And uh, so thank God for that. That's, that's working within the body of Christ, all being a unit together, working together. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 11. He is the one who gave gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do this work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. 
then we'll be no longer like children forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the big lies lies sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of the body, here it goes Paul again, who is the head of the body, the church, and under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly, and each part does its own special work, and it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So get what Paul's saying here in the analogy of the body of Christ. He's saying that we need unity. We need to be working together, pulling together. Amen. And thank God we do that in here. Now there's been moments and there's been times and maybe there's been tension and all of that and that's just natural. In any family that happens. But by and large, generally speaking, we just pull together uh, as one body in Christ. Now, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Cults like uniformity. Cults like everybody to think the same, to talk the same, even to dress the same. You know, to, they, they, they love uniformity. Communists. Communism loves uniformity. Some of you are old enough to remember old Mao Zedong, the old Chinese communist leader years ago who dressed a certain way, had a little kind of a uniform, a little peak cap, and everybody, everybody had to wear that. Everybody had their little uniform and their peak cap and their little red book with the Chairman Mayo's famous sayings, and they all waved them by their millions. That was uniformity. And anybody who didn't comply with that who didn't conform to that, like the academics or the arty people or the people who had especially gifted and talented and, and smart people, then they were actually, they were slaughtered by the millions because they wouldn't conform. They didn't like uniformity. And the wonderful thing about the Church of Christ all over the world is its diversity. We may be in unity, but it's not uniformity. And so we worship slightly differently here, even within this town, the churches within this town. If you visit every one of them, you'd find every one of them is diverse in their form of worship and their form of church government. And that's fine. God's okay with that. He's all right. We believe the same fundamentals as we ought to, but above and beyond that, there's diversity within the body as a body should be. And so the Holy Spirit, in spite of our diversity, gives us unity, but not uniformity. You know, when you think of the day of Pentecost and how that 120, and then how the 3,000, and then the 5,000, then all Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine, and there was such unity, such unity that the Holy Spirit brought you know, to the early church. Now, there was times and there was moments when there was disunity, and the Apostle Paul particularly had to write to the Corinthians and Galatians, different ones, and try to bring that unity back in again, because sometimes they were getting out of sync with each other. And there was people who were arguing with each other, taking each other to court, and he says, now, you can't do that as believers. That's, don't do that before unbelievers. But by and large, it's the unity of the body. And so... It's not uniformity, it's unity. But then it's not just unity that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into the body of Christ, but harmony. And there's a difference between unity and harmony. 
You could take two cats, tie their tails together, and put them over a clothesline, and you would have unity, but you certainly wouldn't have harmony. <laughs> and there's a difference. And so, let me give you an example. I mean, you can have unity. You could everybody play their part. I do my bit, he does his bit, she does her bit, they do their bit. You get everybody doing their bit, and there's a unity in that. But if there's no harmony, if there's no harmony, if the relationships is all broken down, even though, in a sense, you can do your bit, but if there's no harmony between us, it won't be too long before there's no unity between us. Let me give you a football analogy. Sorry for those of you who hate football. But there's teams, whether national side or whether a league side, there are teams who are full of stars, who have brilliant individual players. But sometimes they don't play as a team. The individual stars want the limelight all the time, and they don't play as a team. And once they don't play as a team, then they lose. They start to lose. They need to be in unity and in harmony. And sometimes even whenever they play as a team on the field and they fit in together and they flow together, but in the dressing room, if there's no harmony in the dressing room, it won't be long till that affects the unity on the playing field. Are you still with me? And so it's like that, whether that's in the home or whether that's in the community, whether it's in business or whether it's in sport, there's the difference between unity and harmony. <laughs> if I could put it in simple terms, by unity, I mean working together. By harmony, I mean living together in relationship and in fellowship. The Holy Spirit hates strife. Hates it. The Holy Spirit hates contention and backbiting and schism. Now that doesn't mean to say that we can't disagree. We don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand, as the old country western song says. Sometimes we don't see eye to eye, but we can still walk hand in hand. It doesn't mean that we can't disagree. Sometimes it's necessary to disagree. But that's different than strife and contention and backbiting and schism. Some churches have split over the flimsiest, stupidest thing you can imagine. And when that happens, I say to myself, is there no fear of God here? Because we're the body of Christ. And if we attack each other, we're attacking the body of Christ. It's not just us as individuals, it's the body of Christ we're attacking. And the Holy Spirit hates that. And churches has fought and split and argued and had protests outside and all the rest of it. And newspapers got involved. It was on TV. And you hold your head in shame and embarrassment. You say, how did that get to that stage? Is there no fear of God here? Why? The Holy Spirit's a person. A person. And he feels he senses, and he's sensitive. Even though he's portrayed as fire and wind, but also as water and as a dove. And so he's sensitive, he feels. He can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit. 
uh, doesn't mean just don't anger the Holy Spirit, but grieve not the Holy Spirit. When we're grieved, we're hurt. When we're grieved, we're hurt. All of us have been grieved. Somebody has hurt us. And every one of us at some point in our life has been hurt by somebody else. And we felt it. We were grieved. And the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit of God. He's God the Holy Spirit. This grieves the heart of God. Whatever we're in strife and contention and schism and backbiting, he can be insulted, Hebrews 10.29. He can be lied to, Ephesians 5, Acts 5 and 3. He can be blasphemed, Matthew 12.31-32. That's a big issue. Sometime I need to redo that again, you know, revisit that, but blaspheme against the Holy Spirit because it worries many Christians. He can be resisted, Acts 7.51. He can be tested, Acts 5 and 9. He can be vexed, Isaiah 63 and 10. He can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And so the Holy Spirit, powerful as he is, he can be affected in so many different ways. And if we get into strife and contention continually and it's unresolved, the Holy Spirit, the dove, will fly away. He doesn't want to be around that. He's not like the, the hawk or the bird of prey. <laughs> no, no, he's gentle. He'll fly away. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 1, I beseech, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And in verse uh, 25, Therefore, putting away lying... Let's each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. By the way, just as an aside, when he, when he writes there, therefore put away lying, that each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You see, culturally in those days, lying was culturally accepted. People just, I don't think things have changed very much, have they? People lie. Politicians tell big whoppers, don't they? They promise the earth. And we just know most of that will never happen. But they just bald-faced lie. Not just then, but it seems endemic within society that they lie. But for the Christian, it should not be culturally right for the believer. When we're a believer, we should not lie. It offends the Holy Spirit. We're members one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry and do not sin. There's, sometimes there's things we need to be angry about. 
There are things that are happening that we should be angry about, righteous indignation. But there are other things we get angry about and we shouldn't be angry about, and it leads to sin. It leads us down the path of sinning, and it's not right. We should not do that. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, get it sorted as quick as you can. Nor give place to the devil. Don't give the devil a foothold. No opportunity in the margin, it says. In fact, the word is topos, T-O-P-O-S, which is where we get topography from, which is, which is the land. You know, when you look out over the land, that's the topography, the land, the shape of it. So don't give any ground to the devil, he says. Don't give him stick a toe in. Don't give him any place. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. They may have something to give to those who have need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let all bitterness be put away from you. That's inner hatred, resentment of others. Hebrews talks about a root, of, a root of bitterness that springs up within, that defiles and spoils. Put away wrath, thomas, that means it's hot anger, passion, emotional outbursts, and outward displays of those things. All right. Some people have a very short fuse, haven't they? It doesn't take much to set them off. And when they set off, I mean the red mist descends. And boom, there they go. Just blew up. Anger, put away anger, means inward settled condition of mind that seeks revenge. People who's angry on the inside seeking revenge. What can I do to get back? Clamor, outcry that means, raise voices, loud quarreling, a shouting, slanging match. Now, you wouldn't believe that believers would do that. But they do. I know a church because one of the others told me, he says, things got so bad they were inviting each other outside to the car park. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not joking. And they meant it. I had the fists up to each other. These were elders of a church. Evil speaking, abusive language, bad-mouthing others, malice, which is spite and ill will, and inward malicious thoughts. You can see why Paul says, put all of that away from you. That causes offense to the Holy Spirit. It <coughs> grieves his heart when we do that. So he wants us then to be tender-hearted, towards each other. That's what he wants. Put away all evil speaking with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Where would we stand today without God's forgiveness in each of our lives? Amen. Now we're almost finished here. In Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. And again, I'll read from the uh, New Living Testament. Verse 27, But whatever happens to me, you must live in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ as citizens of heaven. And whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing side by side fighting together for the good news. If we're going to fight, let's fight together for the good news. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this fight together. You have seen me suffer for him in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of this great uh, struggle. And then chapter 2 of Philippians. Is there any encouragement? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and sympathetic, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. And then in Galatians, finally, Galatians chapter 5, again reading from the New Living Testament, verse 14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The own sin sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you're directed by the Holy Spirit, you're no longer subject to the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce evil results, sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your little group, evil, or sorry, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sins. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to, the, to his cross, crucified them there. If we are not living by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited nor irritate one another, but be jealous of or be jealous of one another. And so we can see the Holy Spirit, his ministry right now is to prepare us that he may present us as Paul says, as a chaste virgin unto Christ. So whatever the Holy Spirit needs to do in us, how long it ever takes him to do it, whatever it is that he needs to change in us, be assured he will continue to strive with us to do that. He'll not let us go because he's preparing us. And sometimes it takes a while to be prepared, doesn't it? Sometimes there's a lot to work on. I know in my life there's still a lot to work on. And unless you're super spiritual, there's a lot to work on in your life too. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He keeps working and molding and shaping and touching our lives to make us so that one day we'll be presented to Christ Amen. as his bride. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, shaping and molding us, making us into the people for Christ that you want us to be. Lord God, you love your son. You love him so much, and you want the best bride for him that's possible. And we thank you that you sent your spirit to make that possible. And so we resign ourselves to his work in our lives. And we say, Holy Spirit, do what you need to do. Help us, shape us, mold us, strengthen us, guide us, bless us, that we may become the people of God. We may become more and more like the bride of Christ. And so that when he comes, he will come for that bride that is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, ready and willing to meet Christ as his bride. So we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.